A lot happens in 2 Kings 15. I want to start by just walking through the story because I, if you're anything like me, if you read these chapters, if you read these stories, your mind can quickly be distracted, the numbers can quickly cause your eyes to glaze over, and pretty soon you don't have any idea who these people are, what's going on. Okay, but it's not, it's really not that hard to understand. So let's go over it again quickly. It does require work to read. If any of you have ever read Russian novels, you know there's a lot of characters. We have a lot of characters here. Okay, so if it helps you, we've had in the back an outline that puts the timeline of the kings of the two kingdoms, Israel and Judah, and that might be a help. Just like at the front of War and Peace, you can flip to the front and you can read the different names and you can read, who the, remind yourself who the characters are. You might have one of those in the back of your Bible or in the front and you, you can also grab one from the back, I think, still. But we've got, a, we've got several characters and we've got, again, some nicknames going on here. So let's start with the nicknames, because we've got both kingdoms being described. We've got multiple kings from both kingdoms. Hey, thank you, Joe. Joe's handing out some of these. You guys can take a look. It's, it's not, we're not going to call it a cheat sheet because this is just helpful. You've got to pay attention, right? When you're going through lots of characters, a lot of timeline very quickly. Okay, so it starts over in Judah. The chapter starts in Judah, and the chapter ends in Judah. Those are the bookends, and in the middle, we've got a lot of the kingdom of Israel being described. We've just got a couple of kings of Judah, and then we've got a whole line of five kings in Israel. To start with, uh, Azariah, Son of Amaziah, king of Judah, becomes king. And you have to remember that Azariah is also known as Uzziah. Okay, and so maybe your, maybe your Bibles will put, like mine does, uh, at, the, at the start of this chapter, not inspired, right, but helpful nonetheless, series of kings. Azariah, and then in parentheses, Uzziah, over Judah. And then in verse 8, we've got Zechariah over Israel. In verse 17, we have Menahem over Israel. In verse 23, we have Pekahiah over Israel. <clears throat> and then, not to be confused with Pekahiah, we have Pekah over Israel in verse 27. Okay? And then finally we end, like I said, back in Judah with Jotham over Judah. Now, if your Bible puts these headings in, it could be helpful just to be like, as you're reading, okay, let's, let's keep an outline in our head. I see what's going on. It's easy when you realize, okay, we're starting with Judah, we're ending with Judah, then we've got this list of kings of Israel in the meantime. Now, I want to I stop here for just a second and say something about a topic I don't think I've raised maybe but once, maybe not at all, as we've been going through uh, the book of 
Kings, First and Second Kings. And that is that there are times where if you're really paying attention and you start doing some math, you might get confused. Because the math doesn't seem to add up at certain places. And this chapter has one of those where if you start trying to do the math of Azariah or Uzziah, and I mean, some of you guys might be people that are not like me where it's just, you're just keeping track of the math in your head. Anybody? Or, does it, or do the numbers just be like, okay, right over your head like mine? Most of you are with me, I guess. Right over my head. Uh, but this is one of the, one of the places where um, you might run into, at times, people saying, the Bible isn't true. Look, there's blatant contradictions right in one chapter. See, the numbers don't even add up. I just want you to know the reason I don't address those topics is because they're a distraction. They don't actually help us, and it's almost always very easy to reconcile if you're willing to just put a little bit of thought into it. In this case, we're talking about uh, the comparison of the years of Azariah or Uzziah, remember, and when the various kings start. I'm not even going to try to dive in and point out the, the, uh, the math issue. I just want you to know, yeah, it, it doesn't add up. But what, what, what you can see is that it's not hard to understand how you could end up with this summary being boiled down, and a couple of details being left out that would help us easily make sense of this. All right, Because these chapters are recorded for us from a record, and they're passed down to us in their inspired form. We know that they're true, and oftentimes we have found, even in the last hundred years, that things that the scientists and that the uh, historians and that the archaeologists tell us Oh, well, that obviously is false. Well, that never happened. Well, that person never existed. Or that's, we have no evidence of that city. That when all of a sudden a new city is found, oh, well, there it is. What do you know? The Bible was right in, all along. Okay? And so, um, if you're curious ever about a seeming uh, violation of simple truth, or a, what seems to be something that doesn't add up to you or a contradiction in the Bible, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. In this case, what a lot of people assume is just that one of these kings in Israel actually started his reign in a different city overlapping another king who was king in Samaria. Okay, And, and it's very easy to make sense of the math if you recognize that. It doesn't say here explicitly that that's what happened. It's just a guess, but it's a very simple and easy way to understand, oh, okay, yeah, I mean, I could see how that would happen, right? Because look what's going on. The kingdom of Israel is falling apart. You've got assassinations galore. You've got guys who are struggling with foreign powers who are overwhelming, and you've got a real lack of any actual power here. You don't have a dynasty going on, right? With a clear rule of law and a clear rule of power from 
any of these kings. So what happens is uh, unbelievers look at supposed contradictions at times and want to raise them up and be like, aha, aha, see, God doesn't know what he's talking about. See, God can't keep the truth for us. We know better. And therefore, since I found something that doesn't seem to me to be easily true, I don't have to listen to any of this. You have to recognize that's the goal of such people. And so if you take too seriously the ahas, you're missing the point. The point is to dismiss the fundamental basic truths of the Bible. That it is the word of God and that it is inspired by him and that it is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. And so, typically what's going on is that there's just an idol, just a sin that this person refuses to let go of. And so they're looking for a reason to be able to dismiss God's Word. And this is why I don't spend any time on it until today where I thought, okay, yeah, you know, if anyone's paying real close attention, they might, they might notice the obvious math confusion here. Well, the, the, the one, the one ex- explanation that I gave you isn't the only explanation. People have different theories. Oh, well, you know, this could be what happened. This could be what happened. It doesn't really matter. What we have here is a historical record. It is true. It doesn't give us all the details. It doesn't try to explain away all of the confusions or all of the problems. As a matter of fact, often things are left to you assuming that you know them. The, the, uh, the people who put the Bibles together, like I said, add some of these helpful Headlines, right? These, these in, in, in the midst of the text headings, um, like series of kings. Okay. And that can help you come to a knowledge of what some of these things are. Another nickname that you don't find the headings uh, is actually not one of the kings that's on your paper. It's Paul, king of Assyria, is the same guy as Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria. Okay, another nickname. It's not written explicitly in the text. If you don't know that, it can be confusing. Or you might just, it might not be confusing, but you might just assume there's two different kings being talked about. But you notice how the, the, the text will just switch back and forth between calling Azariah and Uzziah. They're just, and it does the same thing with Paul and Tiglath-Pileser. It just uses one name and then uses the other name. We're supposed to know who that person is. If we don't, yeah, it's harder. We've got we to gotta do some work to understand. Um, but it's not that hard for us to grab a cheat sheet, take a look at the kings, right? It's not that hard for us to read stories that have lots of characters. Um, it's easy, though, for us to get distracted by the lots of characters and miss the main point. So now let's jump forward. And ask, 
what is God recording here in the book of Kings that he wants us to know, aside from what the names of the kings were when they became king in relation to each other, right? Because you've got the two kingdoms and it's always written in relation. When such and such in Judah was king for such and such years, then this person became king in Israel. And then when he had been king for such and such number of years, then this person became king in Judah, right? They're, they're given in, in relation to each other so that you can sort of line them up like you have on that, on that sheet there. But what is it besides who was king when? What is it besides who was king when? Well, here in this chapter, what we read about is the sudden sort of fast-forwarding through the end of the kingdom of Israel. We make it through five kings where things are obviously going bad. Israel is having clear problems because you don't want to live in a land where there's constant assassinations of the king. You don't want to live in a land where there's constant changes of violent changes of power, right? As a matter of fact, you really don't want to live in a land where there's one violent change of power. It can be that God uses a violent change of power to bring his own king onto the throne. We saw that with Josiah. You remember who was reigning before Josiah? Do any of you kids remember that? Who was reigning before Josiah? Come on, it's a, I know it's a pop quiz, but surely somebody remembers. You remember before Josiah in Judah? What's that? Joe, I've been saying, thank you. I meant Joe Ash. You remember, now all of a sudden the kids know, yeah. Athaliah, that's right. The wicked, wicked, wicked queen mother, right? And it took a violent change of power to bring the holy king, the line of David, back onto the throne. But do you want to be living during that time? Or do you want to be living after that when the king of God's choosing is on the throne? That's when you want. You want to live in the time of peace. And that's what we have under Uzziah, Azariah, right? We have this long, stable period of rule in Judah. It's beautiful. It's glorious. You don't have overthrowing revolts. As a matter of fact, it's particularly glorious because there could have been, there was a lot of opportunity for political unrest at that time. Because one of the things that isn't recorded for us in this chapter, but that the writer expects us just to know Okay, from reading other parts of the Bible and from our knowledge of history is that uh, the king got a skin disease. Well, I don't know if you want to call it a skin disease. I have a skin disease. You guys want to see something? I got poison ivy all up my arm. It's gross. 
It kind of looks like leprosy. It's all dried out and nasty. You don't spend any time around someone that has leprosy. Okay? You don't spend any time around someone with leprosy. And so the king gets leprosy. The king gets leprosy, and that means that he's not able to do a lot of the work that the king is supposed to do. And so his son is essentially ruling in his place before his son is officially king. He is made the head even of the household. The son is. Now think about, think about the danger there for things to go south. Remember, the king against that, that all the other kings are measured against is King David, right? King David had not just one son, but two sons that wanted to have the throne while David was still alive. Remember that? Absalom and, any of you kids remember who the other one was? Yeah? Adonijah? That's funny, I was going to say the wrong name again. I'm glad you remember. Two different sons that were ready to rebel against the king. And he's the king that all the other kings are measured against. You guys can tell I have trouble with Russian novels. I need the cheat sheets more than any of you. So, if that's what happens while David is king, that there's two civil wars because of his own sons, you see the risk here under Uzziah, don't you? That the same thing could happen. He gets leprosy, and then, oh boy, What's going to happen? And what happens is nothing. Peace. He continues to rule. The people of the Lord continue to be blessed. It's a real joyful, sweet gift from the Lord. Meanwhile, the contrast is unbearable. Because in Israel, you've got one king after another being assassinated. And you've got the entry of the big bad wolf into the story, Assyria. Tiglath-Pileser. And we know that Assyria is the end for Israel. And this is what the book of Kings is all about. How did we get here? It's written after the exile has already happened. Okay, And it's essentially an answer to the question, what in the world? Aren't we the people of God? What went wrong? Why are we not in our own homes? Why are we in our own land? Why have we lost the blessing of the Lord? And the answer is given throughout the book. We've talked about this 
a number of times. But this is particularly a good time to address it again because now we're, we're reaching that end. We're reaching that point in time where Assyria, Tiglath-Pileser, comes in and begins to take land away, right? Where clearly, even before he comes, the nation is falling into a, com- a completely ungoverned, ungovernable mess. What I want you to see is the emphasis again and again in this passage on the Lord keeping His Word and in the explanation that is given. First, you remember verse 12. You can flip back there to verse 12. We see the short rule of Zechariah in Israel, okay, come to an end, and it, and it points out to us in verse 12, this is the word of the Lord which he spoke to Jehu, saying, your sons to the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. Now, if, if you think about this, okay, <clears throat> Azariah, I'm sorry, Zechariah, Son of Jeroboam became king over Israel in Samaria for six months, is what it says in verse 8. God's promise was your, your sons, to there will be four generations that will sit on the throne, right? Here's the fourth generation. Six months. The end. Does that, is, does that really meet God's promise? Yes, it does. And it's emphasized so strongly at the end of verse 12. This is what the Lord spoke to Jehu, saying, Your sons to the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. And so it was. And you know that, and so it was, is the same phrase in Hebrew that we read in Genesis when the Lord, when God is creating and He speaks the world the animals, the stars, the universe into existence. And so it was. He said it, and so it was. He spoke, therefore it happened. Therefore it was. Isn't it a beautiful thing? That glorious emphasis on the power of the word of the Lord. That what he says is going to happen is guaranteed. Does, any, does anybody question that, that the, the things you look around and see, the chair you're sitting on, this podium, the people around you that you love, does anybody question that these things are? I know there's silly philosophers that, that question whether these things are, okay? But you look around and you don't because you know, oh yeah, here it is. This world's real. How do I know? Well, because here it is, right? It's not hard 
takes a very, very, very smart philosopher to ask a very, very silly question. Are you sure? Uh, am I alive? Are you for real? Now, why do I say this? The reason is I want, you to, I, I want you to know with utmost certainty, the same certainty that you have that when you sit down in that chair that it's, it's actually there, right? I want you to know with utmost certainty that the word of the Lord is sure. It is absolutely without question happening the exact way that he spoke. And so it was. When he says there's going to be four generations of Jehu's sons on the throne, the Jehuites are there. So it was. He speaks, it happens. There's no doubt at all about that. One of the things that he spoke was that if the people of the Lord, if the people of Israel, the sons of Israel... The 12 tribes, right? That if they made him the Lord, that he would be their God and they would be his people. And then he said, but if you don't, I will cast you out of the land. And is there any doubt that he will keep his word? There is no doubt at all. And that's what this passage is trying to remind us of by bringing up those, that promise to Jehu. We've seen it mentioned over and over and over every time one of those kings, according to the word of the Lord, you know, that Jehu's son and then Jehu's grandson and so forth. We've got the, like, yeah, hey, remember God says it, then it happens. See, look, you can see it happen right here. Whenever God says something, it happens. And remember what God said would happen? To the 12 tribes of Israel, if they turned away from him? Yeah, guess what? It's going to happen. It's coming. And right now, it's coming fast. I grew up in the days of VCRs. And uh, I couldn't come up with any better analogy than, than one of the uh, commentators used, which was those VHS cassettes. Have any of you kids ever seen a VHS cassette? It's a tape. It's on two spools. They spin around in one cartridge cassette. Amazing things. You know what you could do? You could fast forward. And, and you can fast forward today, but it doesn't have quite the same effect. I just want you all to know, it doesn't have quite the same effect as fast forwarding with VHS. If any of you haven't experienced it, which you may not have, things really speed up in a different way than they do if you're digitally fast-forwarding, okay? And uh, that's what's happening here. Things are just fast-forwarding. It's like you're watching the movie, and uh-oh, mom and dad said to be in bed by nine. There's 20 minutes left in the movie. We're not going to make it, right? And, and you, so you get to the end, and all of a sudden, ah, well, let's just fast-forward. We've seen this movie a thousand times, but let's watch it. You watch all the. That was when the. Okay, there he goes. Okay, the end. That's what happens here. 
get to the recording of the end of the story and all of a sudden it's just done. But what's emphasized? God keeping his promises. And the why is emphasized. And what is the why? Well, remember, we start with Judah, but when we're talking about Israel right now, verse 9, speaking again of Zechariah, he did evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. What is the point here? What he is, what he's doing, and also what his fathers had done, right? I always do that the wrong direction. Backwards for you. What his fathers had done and what their fathers had done and what their fathers had done. How long has this been going on that the the kingdom of Israel has had wicked kings? And what in particular do we see repeated over and over and over and over in this book? What was the evil that he did? He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. And what was the sin of Jeroboam? And remember, there was another Jeroboam not too long ago. We're not talking about that Jeroboam from last chapter. We're talking about Jeroboam way back at the start of the split kingdom. The first king over the Israelites after Solomon. Remember Solomon's foolish son? His foolish decision split the kingdom. Then you have Judah and you've got Israel. And Jeroboam is that first king. And what does he do? He sets up golden calves for them to worship. Here, O Israel, are the places that you should worship so that you don't have to go up to Jerusalem in Judah anymore because that's not part of our kingdom. I don't want you to get any kind of crazy ideas. So we're going to have our own places of worship. We're not going to worship the Lord. We're going to worship these two golden calves. And down through the ages, and, by, and we're talking ages at this point, right? What do we read over and over and over again? They did not turn away from the sin of Jeroboam. All the fathers right? You've got these little blips of reform. Jehu, for example, right? And did Jehu, who totally obliterated the worship of Baal in the kingdom of Israel, which is like, woohoo! We've been waiting for this, right? What a glorious thing. Did he turn away from the sin of Jeroboam? No. Neither did his great, great grandson, Zechariah, did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made his real sin. And so, this is the emphasis. What have the people of Israel done? They have turned away from the Lord being their God. They have made gods for themselves, and the Lord is going to cast them out of the land. You can't You can't help but know it's coming when you read this over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter how many hundreds of years it takes. When you look back, you realize the start of the kingdom of Israel was bad DNA, wasn't it? It was bad. 
It started with rejection of the Lord. I had a deck on my previous house. Whoever built it had no idea what they were doing. And you know, there, there were, I, I worked on that deck. Matter of fact, Scott helped me work on that deck when I was still in the house. It didn't matter. You know what happened in the end? The next buyer said, that deck's got to be replaced. Give us money out of the sale price to replace that deck. And I could have argued with them, I suppose. It was a seller's market, you know, but, you know, they were right. The deck did need to be replaced. It had been built with bad DNA. It was bad from the beginning. Everything about it was a problem. And so, you know, I could pull out the, uh, I, I could pull out the hot tub that had been sunk into it and throw that away when we bought the house and put new brace supports and put new boards across and I could try to shore up the rails that were always and I could jack up the deck and try to put bricks under it for, to, to strengthen the foundation. But you know, what really needed to happen was it needed a good foundation and it needed to be built from the start on something better. A better design, a better DNA. It's in the DNA of Israel. Not worshiping the Lord, but worshiping the golden calves. It's from the very beginning, isn't it? The very beginning. Jeroboam. So how did Israel end up in captivity 200 years later? Come on. You knew it was coming. You haven't seen any repentance. You haven't seen any true reformation. Turning away from that, right? They ignored all the warning signs. And you can talk about the warning signs. I mean, if you talk about my deck, it's like, hey, you know, this railing is really wobbly. Hey, you know, that doesn't look quite flat. Kind of sloped towards the house. Hey, what's the deal, you know, what's the deal with those steps? Right? You can look at all the warning signs and you can be like, I think there's something wrong. Do they look at the warning signs? Do they notice the warnings? Do they hear the warnings? The prophets come. One of the things that, again, isn't recorded for us that I pointed out a couple of weeks ago is that the Kings doesn't tell us what was going on with regard to the prophets, the, the book of Kings, right? But there's this beautiful verse that one of the uh, commentators pulled out, a couple of verses in Hosea, where God asks the people of Israel at this time, where's your king that you wanted? Why isn't he saving you? And then he says, I 
will give you a king in my wrath. And I will take away a king in my anger. And who is the king that they're going to be given? Tiglath-Pileser. Okay, you want a king? Here you go. Here's your king. In the meantime, Azariah, Uzziah, just continues to reign and reign and reign and everything's going great. Now, here's the question for us. Are we going to compare ourselves to Israel? Are we going to compare ourselves to Judah? Are we going to compare ourselves to the other people around us in our neighborhood? Are we going to compare ourselves to other churches? Or are we going to compare ourselves to what God requires of us? Because I tell you what, if you were living in Judah at this time, you're like, I'm glad we've got Uzziah, you know? Ah, yeah, this is a great kingdom to live in compared to down there. Everyone's new government every five years. Five kings in 20 years. One of them's only six months. The other, I can't remember, you know. It, it's just, it's a mess. And we, we've got the temple. We have Jerusalem. We have the proper doctrine. We have the Lord's blessing. We've got the Ark of the Covenant. We've got it going for us. We're not wicked like them. And what's coming for Judah in a hundred and, I can't remember, 40 years? 140 years after? Is that right? No, you guys, I'm, you know how bad I am at math. Okay, showing it again. What's coming? The same thing is coming for Judah, isn't it? And I want you to see, again, a repeated phrase that must stand out to you as you're reading. You can't read these repeated phrases without noticing them and thinking, surely this is important. Surely there's some purpose to this. And what is it? Verse 4, under Azariah, Uzziah, Verse 3, he's just gotten done saying, He did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. Only the high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. Now I want you to see yourself in Judah. Not to compare yourself to Judah, but just to see yourself in Judah. Better than Israel? Sure. You want to compare yourself to some other church around? Sure, you know. Find yourself a mainline church to compare us to. Better than that? Sure. I'll give you that. Doesn't take much, does it? We're not actively promoting homosexuality and all kinds of wickedness. We're not actively telling people to murder their children. Right, okay, yeah. We're not worshiping the golden calves, granted. But the high places, have you torn down the high places in your own heart? 
Will you take warning? This whole book is a book of warning. Can we hear the warning? Look what happened to Israel. Judah didn't take any warning, did they? Can we take warning? It's not good enough to compare yourself to them. Compare yourself to what God requires of you. Are there sins you're holding on to and refusing to, to put away? Put them away. Let's worship the Lord in His holiness. Will we learn from Israel? Or will we be like Judah? Where it looks like everything's fine. But they too ended up in the same place. Let's pray.